Good morning. Good to see you all. Um, again, as Emily mentioned a little bit ago, special welcome to those of you who are guests with us. It's no small deal that you chose to come and spend some of your morning with us. My name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Mission Point. This morning, I have the privilege of continuing uh, a series that we are calling The Talk. And it's a conversation about love and sex and dating and singleness. And uh, this series is, in essence, what I wish someone would have told me as I was growing up. And so now, in turn, this series is, in essence, what I want my kids to know about love and sex and dating and singleness as they grow up. And so we're going to continue the conversation uh, this morning by looking at a passage of scripture that has been the single most compelling and influential passage in the way I think about relationships. Uh, Before we turn to that passage, let me just give you a quick heads up. Uh, Next week, we are going to be talking about sex Baby, So um, I just want to let you know that in advance, particularly for those of you who are parents, so you can exercise your parental prerogative. I would encourage you to use that prerogative to invite your students to come and be with us. We are not going to be explicit. We're not going to be descriptive. We're not going to make it super awkward. We're going to talk about the beauty and the design um, of, of sexuality and the ways the enemy longs to sabotage that. But I just want to give you a heads up so you can be prepared for um, where we're going next week. But for this week, uh, we're going to spend some time in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you have a copy of the scriptures, please feel free to turn there. Um, we'll have the, the verses up on the screens um, as well here, and you can follow along uh, that way. Um, now, let me say uh, a couple of things about this passage before uh, we get into it. First uh, Corinthians chapter 7, number one. If you have never read this chapter in the Bible, it is going to jolt you a little bit this morning. Brace yourself for that. But let me say that the jolts of Scripture are defibrillators to the heart. Don't shirk against that. Live. It's every way God's designed to invite us into more of himself. But it is going to be a bit of a jolting uh, passage because um, it's very countercultural. It's very counterintuitive to the way we typically think. But we're going to look at this passage of Scripture. And you're going to see here pretty quickly, it's a passage of Scripture that really doesn't need much interpretation. It's pretty clear. Um, We're going to talk about uh, some of the principles that emerge in uh, this passage. Now, it's also good to know about this chapter that we are not the only ones who are piqued with curiosity and filled with questions about love and sex and marriage and singleness and dating. Apparently, the first century church in Corinth had penned a variety of questions about these issues to their sage, the Apostle Paul. And what 1 Corinthians 7 is, is Paul's response. Response to their questions. Paul, give us the talk. Please answer a variety of these questions. And it is in response to that that Paul is speaking, sharing his wisdom on these issues 
with his friends in the Corinthian church. And so what Paul ends up doing in this passage is focusing primarily on all the single ladies and all the single guys in the church. Um, It's interesting that it it works out that way. And um, even though this chapter ends up being primarily devoted to the singles in the church, we're going to see really quickly that there is such beauty scattered within this passage for those of us who are married. And so what we're going to sit in this morning is Paul's advice, Paul's talk to the single folks in the church and vicariously and in many ways it will apply to those of us who are married as well. Um, Now, when Paul uses the word single, um, Paul is simply describing someone who is not married and someone who is not committed to being married to somebody. By the way, it's a curious thing that other than someone who's married or someone who's committed to marriage, Paul doesn't really acknowledge any other romantic relationship. So that's just a quick FYI. If you're in a relationship or pursuing a relationship and, and a marriage isn't the commitment, it isn't the goal, it isn't where you're heading, it's well worth pausing and asking, what are we doing and what is it for? Um, another fascinating thing about this passage of scripture is that Paul takes time to actually distinguish between a biblical command and his best counsel. And that's important for you to tuck away because Paul goes out of his way to explain, now I'm speaking biblical command. Now I'm speaking my best counsel. Now thus saith the Lord. Now thus saith Paul. Look at how he says this, by the way, um, in 1 Corinthians 7.25. It says, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So I'm going to say some things, and these are not chapter and verse things, but these are things that I think I have earned enough trustworthiness to be heard out. Now. Let me just say for us as well, because at times we'll read uh, a chapter like this, and it's going to have some challenging pieces. And it's going to be very easy to say, well, Paul's just giving his best counsel. Listen, (laughs) if you're going to take advice about relationships from anybody, can we just agree Paul should at least be in the top five? I mean, right up there with a late sister, Cleo and Jeeves, or whoever else you ask for advice um, these days. But... If you're single, regardless of why you're single, here's Paul's best advice. And again, no passage has affected me as deeply as this one. None made me matter. None stretched me more. None called me to more life when it came to these issues. Look at verse 8. Paul's best advice. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, It is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn 
with passion. And he's speaking um, in the sexual sense. My best advice to every single saint is stay single, saint. Um, be honest. How many of you are unfriending Paul right now on every social media platform and you are blocking all of his books from your little Bible app? Just because you can't get a girl, don't put that love grinch on us, Paul. Stay single. Not cool, dude. Paul, right? Now, to be fair, um, Paul does make an exception. Probably better to call it a sexception. Hey, he says, my best recommendation may not be best for you if the fires of your sexual passion are burning out of your control. Um, Because when you get that feeling, you need show of hands. No, let's not. I'm just kidding. Um, Paul is not saying this is the ideal way or, or this is the ideal reason to get married. He's not making this as a recommendation, uh, but he is giving it as an option. And what he's saying is it's better to be married and have a spiritual legal contest. A spiritually legal context in which to express some of these passions and extinguish some of these flames, some of them fires. If you will. It's better to do that than to be sunk in perpetual struggle. So he gives freedom to get married if you be burning up. But anyone keeping note can tell that's not Paul's recommendation. It's a concession. And you don't have to process deeply. You don't have to be a deep theological scholar to understand that this is not Paul's ideal. And if nothing else, no one wants to go into a marriage this way. Hey, you want to spend the rest of your life with me? Why? This boy is on fire. I mean, this is, it's not what you would want. That's not romantic. I'd love to hear you share that testimony at some church event. So I was burning up with a sex and uh, Lord said, behold your extinguisher. You know, and um, that's what's up. Um, that, um, that poor woman, that's, that's, that's crazy. But this is not romantic. And Jesus, please spare my daughter from that fiery dude. But Paul, he's not sharing this as an ideal. He's sharing it as a concession. Because punching a wall is better than punching your brother. But neither changes the puncher. So Paul is just saying this is a better option than that option. But neither of them are really the ideal option. What Paul is recommending is stay Single, And he says it again in case there's any doubt. Look at verse 27. Are you pledged to a woman committed to marriage? Don't seek to be released. But are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. Stay single. But Paul goes a little bit further. He doesn't just recommend singleness. He goes so far as to suggest that singleness is the best relationship status a person can choose. 
that. What he says to the church is that marriage is good, but singleness is better. Marriage is good, but singleness is better. What kind of church is this? Look at verse 38. So then, he who marries the virgin, or this woman who's never been married before, does right. But he who does not marry her does, say the word out loud, better. He who marries does right, but he who doesn't does better. Because marriage is good and right, but singleness, according to Paul, is better. Look at verse 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, hopefully by no help of hers, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must be a believer. He must belong to the Lord. Verse 40. But in my judgment, in my best judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. Oh, and I too think I have the spirit of God, Paul says. Because marriage is good, but singleness is better. A widow is free to get married, but Paul says, I believe I'm speaking under the influence of the Holy Spirit when I say she will be more fulfilled. He uses the word happier if she stays single. This is crazy, by the way. These are things that I just have wrestled with. Because Paul understands the plight of the first century Jewish widow. He understands how susceptible she is to to being exploited. He understands how, you know, likely it is that she's going to wrestle with the deepest sense of loneliness, especially having been married before. He understands that she's unemployable. He understands that she'll struggle to make ends meet. And yet, even understanding all of those things, Paul says, my best counsel to her is that she stays single. I think she'll be happier and more fulfilled that way what because marriage is good but singleness is better if this was not in the bible admit it you would not believe me even with this trustworthy face this is not what i was taught by anyone when i was growing up Nobody said this. Singleness wasn't just worse than marriage. Singleness was often communicated as some kind of a curse. It was like a sentence in a maximum security Shawshank that you had to escape from, even if it meant swimming through ungodliness or even if it meant settling for somebody who you knew wasn't good for you. Singleness was described in daunting terms. And before you knew it, you know, singleness was this place where sweaters were made and cats went to retire. And if somebody was single, then you viewed them as like, ah, something must be wrong with them. The rest of us just don't know what it is, but other people have figured it out. It was almost this mark against a person if they were single. And then one of the godliest men in history shows up and turns those lies on their heads with the most countercultural truth. Marriage is good, 
but singleness is better. Now, the truth is we need three weeks to just process the weightiness of that. We need, you know, just to take some time to sit and marinate in the tension and the furrowed brows and the palpitating hearts when we hear something like this. But since we don't have that kind of time, we're going to do the next best thing. And we're going to do the same thing the Corinthian church would have likely done, which is ask Paul the question, why? Why is singleness better than marriage? And are you sober? Right. Thankfully, Paul totally saw us coming. He knew we would have questions, and he was gracious enough to answer them before we asked them. And he gives us a number of reasons. Marriage is good, but singleness is better. Reason number one, marriage is difficult. Now, if you're married, I'm not judging you for not saying amen out loud. That's a risky proposition. But marriage is difficult. Look at what he says in verse 28. If you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. Nobody told me that when I was getting married. Nobody said that to my wife and I when we were engaged. What people said to me was like, oh, congratulations. When is the wedding? What color is everyone wearing? Where's the reception going to be? Oh, child, where are you going for your honeymoon? And went right to all the fun stuff that is just the getting married portion. Nobody loved me enough to pull me aside like Paul and say, do you even understand what you're getting yourself into? Marriage is hard. It's two sinful people living under one roof, learning to communicate. You are going to have those what? We do moments in your marriage. Nobody is going to be able to wound your heart the way the person who lives with you and knows you best will be able to wound your heart. You will experience betrayal that you do not think you could possibly recover from. It is one thing to struggle financially by yourself. It adds a whole new hardship to struggle financially with someone else, especially if you feel responsible for said someone else. It is hard work. Being married as God created and intended us to be married is hard work. There's a reason 50% of all marriages end in divorce. It is difficult. It is tragic that the majority of the heart-aching conversations I've had as a pastor have been with people who are experiencing the pains and the hardships of marriage, which oftentimes makes me really upset because I realize really quickly this is because the church didn't dare to tell you ahead of time marriage is difficult. We've painted all the ideal and the romantic pictures of marriage, but no one has talked to you about that this is just, oh, that she, oh yeah, she'll ice you and she'll stop talking. No one, no, no, everyone just congratulated us. It is difficult. 
Again, it's not sinful to go after marriage. Don't let anyone guilt you. Don't let anyone shame you for that longing by any stretch. But Paul says it will bring challenges, and he would not wish those challenges for the singles in the church. I mean, he sounds like a Grinch in so many ways. You know, like a a really, really grumpy wedding singer. But he's going to explain what he means more and more. Um, You can imagine uh, Paul has an added concern. Uh, It's a concern that I think is being added to our culture. And the concern he had in that day was that the church was coming under fire, under persecution. And so you can imagine, as Paul says, these times are hard times as it is. To do persecution alone alone is going to be hard enough, let alone to experience persecution in this context. It's going to add an additional hardship as external hardships press in on our marriages. But he says it's not sinful. But, he says, it will be incredibly challenging. So, he says it's better to be single so you can spare yourself of the difficulty because marriage is difficult. Now, those of us who are married will tell you marriage is more than just difficult. That's not all it is. But that's one of the reasons that Paul gives. But he goes further to explain this idea more. And he suggests singleness is better because marriage is distracting. Marriage is distracting. Boo! Heresy! We hate mission point! Y'all are mission the point, you know. How dare you, sir? But think about how rude and foreign that phrase sounds to hear, let alone to put up on the screens in the house of the good Lord Jesus. Marriage is distracting. How dare you? Oh, my goodness. Think how much Christian swearing is happening in this room right right now. Marriage is a distraction. And I just want to say for the record and for my own self-protection, I didn't say it. Um, Paul said it. And I also want to say for the record and for my self-protection that um, I happen to be married to the finest distraction God ever did create. Hallelujah, Jesus. Now. Look at what Paul says in verse 29. He says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. We'll come back to that, so just hang tight, please. (laughs) Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. Why? For this world in its present form is passing away. You will blink and your stint on earth is gone. What Paul is saying is it's better to be single so that you can seize the time you have and spend it on things that will outlast this world. Spend your few moments, not on temporary things like marriage, but 
spent your moments on eternal things like the mission of Jesus Christ, like inviting the lost to life in him, like feeding the hungry and fending for the homeless and fighting injustice and freeing the oppressed. Paul is saying singleness is better because it better positions you. To live for things that will far outlive you. Marriage will be done when you die. If you have a little bit of time, if the time is short, Paul would say, maximize the moments by doing the things that will far outlive you. The reason marriage is distracting, which sounds so rude. And I think the reason it sounds rude is because we've maximized marriage and we've made marriage the main thing. Now, if marriage is the main thing, then how can you call marriage a distraction if marriage is the main thing? The problem is Paul never got that memo. The memo Paul got said, no, 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 marriage is not the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. His mission is the main thing, which means anything that has the potential to disrupt or to lessen your ability to more fully engage that mission can become a distraction because even the best things can be distractions from the best thing. And he calls marriage a distraction from something that is more important than marriage. And after all, marriage is about maximizing the person of Jesus Christ. There is something more important that will far outlive us. Singleness is not just better. Paul wouldn't just walk around and say singleness is better, period. Just, it's just better. It's not just arbitrarily better. Singleness is it's not better for cuddling. It's not better for a night out at the movies. Uh, singleness is not better for intimate conversation with another person. Singleness is not better for, for that rare companionship. Singleness is not just better. What Paul is saying is singleness is better for the person who is locked in and latched on to the mission being the priority of the moments I have here on earth. If the mission is maximized, then singleness is better because it better positions you to carry out the work that you've been called to. By the way, this should shout something to those of us who are married. Because that little tricky phrase in which Paul says, live as if you were not married, that's not like, hey, open a Tinder account. That's not what that means. Paul is saying, live in your marriage as if your marriage is not the most important thing, because it's not. When he says live as if you weren't married, he's simply saying live as if marriage is not the most important thing. And he applies that to other things. Live as if your stuff isn't yours to cling on to because you're going to lose it once you die. Live like your time isn't the most important thing because it's not. And we believed our marriages are about our marriages. When the reality is our marriages are actually primarily about mission. 
When God put Adam in that deep sleep, and while Adam was sleeping, he took this rib out and and made a woman from his rib. He brought the woman to the man, and he said, I've made a helpmeet suitable for you. I have made a co-worker suitable for you. What do you mean? The minute their marriage started, God gave them explicit instructions, and the instructions were mission. I want you to fill the earth with people just like you. Just like the fruit reproduce according to their kind, I want you to plenish the earth with people according to your kind. He gave them a task to do. And I want you to have dominion over the earth. And so what Adam and Eve were, were, were co-workers, they were partners in a mission work that God gave them. They understood our marriage is not primarily about marriage. Our marriage is primarily about the mission and the work God is giving us out there. By the way, I find it so curious that while Jesus was in his deep sleep, death for three days, I don't know how God pulled it off or what part of him he took out, whatever substance he used to create his church. But what I do know is before Jesus left, he called his soon-to-be church to his side and he told them, I will be with you. We're going to be in this thing together. But here are the marching orders. I want you to go be fruitful and multiply disciples in the earth who look just like us. Even in that, Jesus is emphasizing the mission, emphasizing the work. That is true when you get married. That God ultimately is bringing two people together to carry out a mission. And somehow he's decided the mission is carried out better by the two of you than by yourselves. And come on, Adam, that would have been a tough multiply and and fill the earth gig without Eve. Because it's not ultimately about the marriage. It's ultimately about the mission. What does your marriage live for that will outlive your marriage? What is the work you believe the Lord has brought you to do together uh, that maybe you couldn't do as well individually? And for some of us, we need to pause and just have the conversation because our marriages need a mission statement. Something that transports us out of ourselves into the thing that will far outlive us. So when we cross the grave, we can high five and say, we did it. We accomplished the mission for which we've been brought together. Our marriages are about a mission that's bigger than us. It'll be so awesome for couples to say, let's try and figure out what that is. And by the way, if you commit to moving in that direction, I suspect you find yourselves fighting less. Because now it's not about you just staring at each other and consumed with this thing. It is about you figuring out how you can move out in mission. And hint, the mission will probably start in your home, especially if you have a family. And so Paul is saying, don't let marriage distract whether you are married or not. It's just easier. To focus freely and engage the mission when you are single. And then I think he gives one more reason why singleness is better. In fact, I think this is the reason why he would dare to say to a widow that singleness is more fulfilling. And that reason is that marriage is dividing. 
Marriage is dividing. Wait, I thought marriage unites. Yeah, it unites the couple, but it divides the individuals. Now, that may not sound romantic, but it's biblical. And uh, any married person who loves Jesus and loves their spouse will tell you that this is true. If I'm going to selflessly and sacrificially love my wife the way Christ loved the church, if I'm going to protect and provide, if I'm going to pursue and be present in my marriage, that is going to take energy. That is going to take time. That is going to take intentionality. And it's going to cause me to be divided. My time is divided. My attentions will be divided. My affections will be divided. And what Paul is saying is, I can't live and run after Christ as radically as a married man as I could as a single man because my attention is divided. I can't just get up and say, you know what, I'm going to Thailand to wage God's war against child trafficking because I have kids to tuck in. I can't just jump on a flight with John Barrett and, and, and you know, Mike Taylor this week and go to Haiti with them. Because soccer, I, I, I can't just, you know, just go share the gospel freely and radically for hours and hours and hours and hours in the community because I have chores. I'm not saying I always do them, but I have chores. And I, I think more to Paul's point, I can't just bask in God's word for hours. I can't just go on these long walks with Jesus, getting to know him and, and reveling in who he is. I just don't have that much freedom. I am a divided man, not free to run as fully after Jesus as a married man as I would be if I were single because I am a divided man. But look at the way Paul says in verse 32. Paul says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs fully, how he can please the Lord. But a married man like me is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. She is all in. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. And what Paul understands is that the thing I was created for, the thing I was saved for, was to delight in Jesus Christ. What Paul understands is nothing is going to fulfill my soul. Nothing is going to fulfill me as deeply. Nothing is going to make me happier than to find myself enamored and enwrapped in the person of Jesus Christ, enjoying him fully and being fully enjoyed by him. That's why Paul can say to a widow, I understand that life is going to be challenging, but the thing your soul was made for, you are freer to do that like never before. The thing your heart longs for the most is not a spouse. It is your savior. And if you find yourself enwrapped in him, you will be fully satisfied. And you'll find him strangely more than 
enough. And what Paul is saying is that it's harder to do when you are married. Your affections, your attentions become necessarily divided. If somebody comes to me and says, oh my goodness, I'm just in the word all the time. Married. And I'm just constantly on mission trips. I'll be, your marriage is struggling and you're using Jesus as an excuse. Because you do have responsibilities that you're called to, to take care of. Singleness is better because I'm able to be undivided in my devotion to him. He says body and spirit. And so here's the thing. Marriage can express the picture of Jesus better. But singleness can experience the person of Jesus better. And Paul is saying singleness is better because you are more able to have more of Jesus and for him to have more of your undivided self. Um, I, I love how caring Paul seems to be for this church. He he anticipates their heart's contention, and so he reassures them. Because again, when I first read this, I was fuming, I was upset, I was confused. But I love what Paul says in verse 35, because my instinct is like, this proves that Christianity is just a bunch of rules, and it's, it's God's Debbie Downer, and he's trying to take away my joy. And then Paul says in verse 35, I'm saying this for your own good. What? I'm not saying stay single to restrict you. The opposite. I'm saying that, that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. You are more able to run more fully after Jesus and more freely after what is going to outlast you. And I promise you, nothing is better than that. So, um, a couple of, of thoughts. Um, let me speak first to those of you who are single. A, I hope you wrestle through this. Um, I obviously hope that when it's all said and done, there will be a belief that Jesus is never trying to take away. He's trying to bring more fullness. He came that we might have life and have it too. Before. But let me say this to those of you who are single. Don't waste your singleness. If you are single, heaven is giving you a window in which to delight most fully in Jesus and do great damage for him in this world. Do not waste your singleness. Us married folk will be a little upset. Run faster than we can. Run further than we can. Live more fully for him than we can. Fly more freely for him than we can. Say yes to the craziest adventure to go and take the gospel to the darkest places. Start an organization fighting sex trafficking as somebody in our church has done. Go crazy 
Maximize the mission. Make the most of the moments you have in ways that you will never be able to do if the Lord should interrupt your mission priority with marriage partnership. Go crazy. Do not waste your singleness trying to get out of it. If God determines he has a mission work better accomplished with a partner, have God have to catch you. Because you, you are running. You are chasing him. You are chasing the loss. And by the way, the ideal marriage is a marriage in which two people who are running after God run into each other while they're doing it. It's not two people who are running, looking for each other, looking for each other and obsessing. It's two people who have said, I want to run fully after Jesus. I want to find fullest satisfaction in him. So if I'm going to meet you, that's where I'm going to meet you, somewhere on that path, somewhere in that journey. But please be crazy for the kingdom in this season. You have. I wish somebody would have told me that when I was growing up. Make the most of this moment. Second thing, don't miss your delight. Um, you never have the moment you have now to know Jesus. I just recently thought, like, man, I used to pray so much more and read so much more of the scriptures. What's going on? How come I don't? Dad! Dad! I'm like, oh, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. You have a window now to chase after Jesus in some of the most beautiful ways. Don't waste your moment to run after the thing that your soul was designed for, and that is delight in the person of Jesus Christ. For all I care, take Jesus on a date. Date him. Give him a year. Date him. All right, Jesus, uh, mind if we go for a long walk and, and check out your sunset? Good job tonight, by the way. That's a nice one you threw. Long walks, get to know him. I mean, take him to sushi. I mean, freak out the host at the restaurant, table for two, you know, and you go sit down, just chill. Just hang out with him. Um, I bet you'd be surprised the richness of joy your soul will start to experience in the person of Jesus. That's the thing that surprised me the most. When I said, if this is true, then I want to chase after this. And it wasn't weeks before I'm like, I am so good right now with Jesus. And if he wants to interrupt, he can, but I am solid right now. Um, third thing, please don't believe the lie. If you are single, there is nothing wrong with you. You don't need special parking. Uh, you are not somehow incomplete. Um, you are wanted. You are chosen. You are already caught up in the greatest love story of all. And the prince who came after you is the best of them all. Chivalrous in every way. He held the door to heaven open so you could come in. He paid for your dinner with his blood. He, he gave you that infinite carrot ring called the Holy Spirit, the seal guaranteeing what is to come, that we will be together 
one day. He proposed in front of a heavenly entourage on the cross. And he will never look at another woman. Y'all have joint accounts. He took your debt and he gave you his riches in this great exchange. You are already chosen. You are already caught up. The prince of princes has invited you to journey with him. And let me say this to those of us who are married and those of us particularly who are parents. Let's, don't push marriage. And we said this. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we tell single people like, hang in there. Ooh, I believe a, a nice man is on the way. What if he's not? She already has the best man. What if there is no nice man on the way? Just, just hang in there. What if Jesus has decided, I want her for myself. Thank you. I don't want to share. I don't want her divided. What if Jesus had decided, I want him to roll with me. We have some things to do. We have some work to do. So stop telling him that somehow he's incomplete. And if he just hangs on long enough and chews with his mouth closed, the right girl will come along. We need to stop pushing this. What we should push with our friends, what we should push with our kids, is run after Jesus in a devoted, fully bought-in, sold-out way. And he has a prerogative to interrupt whenever he chooses. Singleness is better, but only if your desire is to run more fully after Jesus and more freely for the things that will outlive you. And if you do that, I promise you, you will never miss his best. Plus, you don't want somebody who spent their whole life looking for you. You don't. You don't want to marry. That's a lot of pressure. Ah, I finally found you. I'm complete. You're going to make me happy, and you're going to complete me. And that's a lot of pressure till you start snoring, and you, you know, squeeze toothpaste from the middle, and you're just an utter disappointment, and you weren't the life I was hoping you would bring. I was never intended to be. Don't put that on me. You don't want somebody who's waiting for you. You don't want somebody who's looking for you. You want somebody who was looking for Jesus, and they didn't need you. You just happened to be brought in because Jesus determined that that was his best. Lord, I pray Uh, That for all of us, regardless of our relationship status, that we would run after you. For those of us who are married, help us to prioritize your mission and find our marriages reflecting Christ more beautifully as we run after what he calls us to together. And for those, Lord, who are single, I pray that you'd give a deep contentment and a great sense of satisfaction and a passion to run after you and turn this world upside down while there is time. It's in your name we pray. Amen.